It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, December 18th, 2023. I'm Mike Emanuel. President Biden's son showed up on Capitol Hill, but refused to sit for a deposition behind closed doors with House lawmakers. House Republicans also voted to formalize their impeachment inquiry, looking into President Biden, a critical step. The impeachment power is a power that solely, under the current Constitution, solely resides in the House of Representatives. And when the House, the majority of the House, has had a vote and said we're officially in that phase of our investigative work, that will help us. We speak with the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan. I'm Chris Foster, making a list and checking it twice to remember who to tip at Christmas time. It's all about the relationship. Uh, and so what you want to do is make it clear how much you value that relationship. Uh, and so in some cases, that means giving some kind of cash tip. In some cases, that might mean giving a, a small gift. And I'm Dr. Nicole Sapphire. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. President Biden's son Hunter showed up on Capitol Hill this past week to speak on camera to reporters, but not House lawmakers. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. At the White House, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre suggests House Republicans going after the president's son and pursuing an impeachment inquiry of the president are all about politics. What we're seeing from House Republicans is wasted time, and it is certainly... Uh, you know, baseless political stunt. That's what we're seeing. And fellow Democrats like California Congressman Ro Khanna say there's nothing there to impeach President Biden. I don't think the president did anything wrong as president of the United States. Look, when you impeach someone, it's because they took conduct as president that was violated the law. And there's not a shred of evidence of that. But IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley says there was something funny going on with Biden family business dealings. You don't have to be financially uh, uh, connected to a business in order to uh, be a part of that business. And what what President Biden was uh, basically doing through Hunter Biden was allowing Hunter Biden to get these deals where there's no discernible actual product being produced. So it's really just a peddling of, uh, of the influence. Which is part of why lawmakers want to put Hunter Biden under oath, but can't as long as he's a no-show for depositions. I guess I wasn't surprised, uh, you know, because we've been hearing rumors and, and his lawyers had, you know, they hadn't talked with our lawyers uh, for several days leading up to that. Ohio Republican Congressman Jim Jordan is chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. So I guess I wasn't too surprised that he didn't show for the deposition, but uh, I was surprised that he showed up at the Capitol and, and, and did the press event. And particularly what he said, I think the, the line that I think got my attention, I think most people's attention, is when he said his dad, his father wasn't financially involved. And I think that, that qualifier uh, was was interesting because it's different than what we've heard over over time. You know, Joe Biden went from 
uh, no involvement, no, no, no knowledge whatsoever to then we learned that he had dinners and phone calls and meetings, uh, even though they just quote talked about the weather to now it's like, well, he was involved, but not financial. So I thought that was the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Well, he has a big time attorney in Washington, Abby Lowell. And so the language matters. The words are precise. And so the financially thing was, it was certainly noteworthy, wasn't it? It sure was. Uh, because again, the, the White House's story has changed. As I said, he, initially when he, when, you know, in 2020 was when Jordan started for the office. Uh, he says he had no involvement, no knowledge, nothing whatsoever. And then, of course, it was you know we've learned he was in multiple dinners, multiple meetings, multiple phone calls. We know that Hunter Biden in Dubai called him back in 2015 at the request of the uh, CEO of Burisma, the company Hunter Biden was on the board of. And then a few days later, Joe Biden goes to. Keith and pushes to get the prosecutor fired, who was applying the pressure to the very company that Hunter Biden set on the board, uh, the, the Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company. So uh, their story has changed uh, multiple times. What I always point out is the story that hasn't changed is the story of the two whistleblowers, Mr. Shapley and Mr. Ziegler. Their story has been has not wavered. It stood up under cross-examination when they came in front of the committee. And we've interviewed now nine different people associated with the Hunter Biden investigation uh, at the Justice Department, and none of them have refuted anything we have learned from Mr. Shapley or Mr. Ziegler. Why do you think Hunter Biden showed up on the Senate side of the Capitol at all on Wednesday if he had no plans of attending the deposition? Was it all about the court of public opinion, a PR battle? Yeah, I, I assume so. I mean, you know, we live in a political world, and of course, you know, your, your father is the president of the United States, and it's a, it's a congressional deposition. So uh, I'm, I assume it was done for, for PR, for politics, and, you know, what we're now closing in on 10, 11 months before, uh, before the presidential election. So I think it's, it's, it's probably driven by that. One of the president's son's main points was that he would only testify in public so Americans could see, quote, Republicans' tactics and hear what he had to say. But if it was a deposition, there would be a transcript, right, that eventually people would get to read, I, is my sense. Oh, yeah. No, there's, a, there's always a transcript, whether it's a transcribed interview, where, which is when someone comes in voluntarily, or whether it's a deposition, which is when a subpoena is involved. There's always a transcript. That typically gets released. We normally, you know, just standard practice, we normally don't release that until we've, we've talked to all the witnesses we plan on t- uh, talking to in the course of an investigation, because it sort of gives away, you know, gives away the type of questions and things you're going to ask. But, uh, yeah, at some point that would get, that would get public. But, um, yeah, there's always a transcript made. After Hunter Biden refused to show, House Oversight Chairman James Comer, your colleague, commented, quote, he just got into more trouble today following his actions. I think many Americans are now wondering what comes next. Will there be consequences for his failure to appear? Yeah, I assume we will. We, we will move forward with uh, you have to do a committee report. Then there's a committee vote on contempt of Congress. And then that could go to the full House where you would have that vote in the full House for contempt of, of, of Congress, and I expect us to move in that direction. I do think it was interesting because it, it looks like the president knew and talked to his son about how he was going to handle, uh, you know, what kind of response he was going to give to this congressional subpoena. I think that's interesting. I think Professor Turley commented about that, that, you know, if the White House, if they consulted and talked about that, that, that potentially is a concern, and I think something that we will examine in the course of our work now that we're in this official impeachment inquiry phase of our oversight duties. 
to that point, President Biden spoke out following House Republicans formally issuing an impeachment inquiry, saying that the Republicans in Congress were choosing to focus on this over other important issues. What's your response to this claim by the president? Well, we've passed legislation to fix the border. We've passed legislation to, to go back to being energy independent and help with the cost of energy. We've passed legislation to empower parents when it comes to their kids' education. We've passed all kinds of things in the House. It's the Democrat Senate that won't take it up. But we also have a constitutional duty to do oversight of the executive branch, and we're going to do that consistent with the Constitution. We're going to do that in a way that focuses on the facts. And as I said earlier, we've had uh, these the, the two whistleblowers who came forward Whose, whose story and testimony has stood the test of time and, 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 and demonstrated just how bad the process was handled, the investigation was handled at the Justice Department. We are supposed to investigate this. And now that we've moved into a formal impeachment inquiry and had a full vote of the House, I think that just helps us as we continue to do our work. For folks at home not familiar with the whole impeachment inquiry and why it's significant, I mean, this really helps you when it goes to court, right? When there are questions over congressional subpoenas and that sort of thing, right? Totally. We, you know, it helps us get documents sooner. If, in fact, we have to wind up in court on a document question or a witness, uh, you know, coming in for a deposition, it helps us in court because the impeachment power is a power that solely, under the Constitution, solely resides in the House of Representatives. And when the House, the majority of the House, has had a vote and said we're officially in that phase of our investigative work, that will help us. We think it's going to help us get these witnesses in just sooner. Uh, We're already talking with them. We expect them to come in. People like the the other business partners, Hunter Biden, like Eric Schwerin, Rob Walker, Jim Biden, the guy who paid paid a huge amount of Hunter Biden's taxes, this Kevin Morris guy. We think they come in in a a more timely fashion now that we're in this official phase called an impeachment inquiry. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we do feel that, that that helps us as we move forward. Do you think Abby Lowell's approach, Hunter Biden's attorney, is to kind of slow walk this, to stretch it out, hoping that, you know, a new election will happen and then maybe you guys are no longer in the majority and then this all goes away? That's probably it could be part of his calculus. But, I mean, we have to remember that David Weiss, the special counsel, has now brought several charges against Hunter Biden, both in Delaware and in, in the Central District of California. So True. I think that factors into why he didn't want to testify under oath in a deposition. You know, if you just step back and just in a normal course, not notwithstanding this is the, the president's son, you would probably not want to go in on the record. You'd probably, if, if you're called in front of Congress, you come in and you would take the fifth. So I think there's a number of factors that, that they're looking at as they evaluate how they handle things. All we're trying to do is get the facts for the American people. Because I always say, I think overall, this is as old as the hills. You had a politician in office who did certain things. Those actions benefited his family financially. And then there was an effort to conceal it, which is what I think happened with the Justice Department and how David Weiss handled this investigation, tried the sweetheart deal this, this past summer. So I think that's the pattern. And, and you look at Burisma as, I think, the primary example, because one, Hunter Biden gets put on the board of Burisma. Fact two, he's not, he doesn't have the skill set to be on the board. He said so himself. Fact mm-hmm. number three, Burisma asked him to weigh in with his dad. Fact number four, as I said before, his dad goes to Ukraine and conditions the release of tax money to Ukraine on the firing of the prosecutor who was applying the very pressure to Burisma. That all happened, and then you had the Justice Department try to, I think, conceal this from the American people with the sweetheart deal they tried to run through. So. That's what we're digging into. And then the additional facts that have been uncovered in the course of our investigation. Your former colleague, Ron DeSantis, now Florida governor and presidential candidate, 
is cautioning Republicans to not lose sight of issues Americans are concerned about while focusing on the impeachment inquiry. How do you respond to that? Yeah, we should do all that. And as I, as I said, we, we've passed the strongest immigration enforcement border security legislation in history. We have passed legislation that empowers parents when it comes to their kids' education. Uh, I think the country gets that what has happened in, in, in the Biden presidency. I always say we went from a secure border to no border. We went from uh, under, under Trump safe streets to now record levels of crime. Under Trump, we had stable prices. Now we have record inflation. And we had, under President Trump, $2 gas. Now we have 3 4 $5 gas. And, of course, what we've spent a lot of time on, Mike, in, in the Judiciary Committee is – this weaponization of the federal agencies against we, the people, against the taxpayers, the people that are supposed to serve have actually the agencies have been turned against the very people who are supposed to who pay the tax and are supposed to be served by the government. And we've highlighted a number of things there that we think are important and frankly got some changes from some of these agencies. So I think we'll talk about all that in the course of the campaign. Uh, and you can see the polling right now. The country wants President Trump back in the White House because they saw how good things were under his leadership. We know the Biden administration wants money for Ukraine. They also want money for Israel. And Republicans are holding the line saying there's got to be some serious stepped up border enforcement. Uh, There are ongoing talks between the administration and bipartisan senators. Does this convince you that the administration understands the, the crisis at the border at this point, that something must be done? No, I don't think they get it. I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think they get it because they caused it, and they caused it on day one. Uh, day one, they said there will be we're, we're going to stop building the wall. We're no longer going to have remain in Mexico. And when you get to our country, you will be released. You won't be detained. So those three changes that were made on January 20th, 2021, when this administration was sworn in, that that shows you this was intentional. So I don't think they're serious about the border. It's, it's sad because it's mm-hmm. such an important function of the federal government. But I do think there's a, a huge majority of the Congress wants to help Israel. Uh, but but lots of members of the of the Congress, um, when it comes to Ukraine, are saying, first of all, what's the objective? Joe Biden never has seemed to be able to define what the objective is. And second, how are we measuring and accounting for all the money we're sending there already? Uh, mm. So I think those are real concerns. He is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan of Ohio. Merry Christmas to you and your family, sir. Thanks for your time. You too, Mike. Take care. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. This is Dr. Nicole Sapphire with your Fox News commentary coming up. Tip fatigue may be leading to some resentment about how much and who to tip. Reported incomes from tips are down this year. They've gone way up at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. People were feeling generous to workers who were still out there serving us. So some customers are just dialing it back. But some are pushing back about being asked to tip more by more people, usually with a button on a screen where you pay. Sometimes it's not warranted when they just hand me something from behind the counter. I feel a little guilted into having to give it. Now, I'm the kind of person I give it every time. I don't, um, especially pre-pandemic. In spots where I wouldn't be tipping, then I have no problem not tipping. In my mind, it, it just helps spread the wealth. So it's, I, don't, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's tough. It's a real tough, tough question. 
And we'll get into that. But first, let's talk about tipping over the holidays, showing appreciation for some of the people who make our lives better or easier throughout the year. With tipping, one of the things that I think people need to remember is that um, an expectation is not like a summons. Emily Guy Birkins, a financial expert and co-author of Stacked, your super serious guide to modern money management and the five years before you retire. But when it comes to things that are not nearly as clear, that are not clearly a part of the tipping economy. So like if you have someone who cleans your house, if you have a regular babysitter who like picks up your kids for you after school, um, you know, your personal trainer, uh, teachers at your kids schools, anything like that, you're like, is this normal? Do we tip? I don't know. And so it can be very difficult to um, navigate that, but it's all about the relationship. Uh, And so what you want to do is make it clear how much you value that relationship. Uh, And so in some cases, that means giving some kind of cash tip. In some cases, that might mean giving a, a small gift. Or in some cases, that means writing a note, just letting them know just how much you they mean to you and how they make your life easier and better. Let's say you are you know, fortunate enough to have the cash to spread around. Let's just go through some examples um, in terms, just just sort of accepted etiquette, whether you want to go with this or not, I guess is up to uh, up to you, up to the listeners. But okay, let's let's say, let's take a babysitter, an everyday babysitter. What do you do for them at the holidays? So for a babysitter, um, it, it some of it depends a bit on the age of the babysitter. Back when I, in my babysitting days, um, I actually, uh, I was 14, 15 years old, and some of the families that I regularly sat for would give me a gift card. I had one year, um, a family gave me, I think it was a sweater, it was a gift, um, just to to show their appreciation, and I was overwhelmed and and delighted. Uh, Once I was older and I was babysitting in college, um, for people I was a regular babysitter for, they would give me a, um, a cash gift that was equal to what a normal babysitting session was. And so kind of the more you rely on the person, the larger the gift uh, can be. And also the more the person is likely to rely on that money, right. um, the the larger the gift kind of needs to be. I guess in, in there, there are other cases, too, where sort of the standard is, uh, you know, like say a hairdresser, maybe you tip. If, if it's a hairdresser you go to regularly, maybe you've been for a long time, you give them a tip of what you would have paid for a session, say. Yes, exactly. And so that's similar with with a babysitter. So if uh, typically you go out, you know, every every Friday night and, you know, you you end up paying the babysitter like seventy five dollars, a seventy five dollar tip, even without having them babysit would be something appropriate. Um, Same thing with like a personal trainer. You know, if a training session is eighty dollars, you know, giving them an eighty dollar tip that's equal to the cost of a training session. And that's a, a really easy rule of thumb to kind of go by uh, because that gives you a sense of what it is you're doing that, uh, you know, you're kind of freeing up their time um, by giving them a gift that's equal to a session uh, without having to have the session. Yeah. How about people like um, who are actually professionals, teachers, school bus drivers, maybe daycare workers? What do you do for them? 
So once you get into those kinds of professions, uh, it gets a lot more awkward to give a cash gift. And it's much more appropriate to do something like um, a small gift. Uh, consumable gifts are generally uh, appreciated. Uh, so things like, you know, cookies or candles um, or even flowers, uh, something that's not going to last forever. I just recently saw this hilarious TikTok of a um a preschool teacher talking about all the mugs that they had received as a <laughs> gift from their kids. Um, so a consumable gift is is always appreciated. And then gift cards are also lovely. Um, you want to keep the gift card amount uh, to like $25 or less because you don't want there to be this awkwardness because again, that, that professional relationship is very different from the kind of relationship you have with a babysitter or a hairdresser or personal trainer. Yeah. Um, Postal carrier seems like a tricky one. I mean, it's like some of us get tons of packages. Some of us don't. Some of us have never seen our postal carrier. Some of them, some mm -hmm. of us see them every day, but they aren't supposed to take cash anyway. Right. So what do you, what's the etiquette with them? Postal carriers cannot accept a cash tip and they also, they cannot accept a, a gift that is bigger than about $20. So, you know, you, you can't give your postal carrier a gift of like, I don't know, uh, an iPhone, <laughs> um, uh, no matter how much you might really appreciate them. So uh, a non-cash gift that's worth less than $20 or a small consumable gift like baked goods. And then also uh, the postal carrier, if you, um, as with anyone on this list, uh, a little note saying like, hey, I see how hard you work. I so appreciate yeah. what you do. Thank you. What about UPS, FedEx, maybe if you have a regular Amazon driver, is it different there or you just kind of follow the same guideline? Uh, the, they don't have the same kind of federal regulations that a postal carrier does. Um, but I would in general follow the same kind of guidelines um, where it is a different kind of relationship. Um, so a cash tip is not necessarily going to um, be as appropriate. Um, but a non-cash gift, um, a small consumable gift. Uh, and then also, you know, if you have a regular postal carrier, something like, you know, having like a bottle of water available for them or something like that, or a regular UPS or Amazon driver so that, you know, they know if they're thirsty, yeah. <laughs> they can get a bottle of water of your house. What about workplace gifts, like within a workplace? I don't mean not tips from the public or, 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 or like official bonuses you might get from a company, but like, among coworkers, is there some etiquette there? So once you get into like workplace, um, the the coworker etiquette uh, again gets a little bit confusing depending on where you work. I mean, there are some places that are going to be uh, really um, stern about like not allowing those sorts of things. Um, there are others where it's going to depend on the relationships. You know, some of your coworkers are, are your, your friends who you would hang out with, even if you didn't work together. Um, in which case, like giving a gift to a friend is, is, is totally reasonable. This is the sort of thing where uh, it's always helpful to kind of think through what you would want if you're on the other side um, and think through, would this make you feel awkward? Um, or is this just something that uh, you would be delighted to receive? Uh, and if you're not sure, you can always run it by um, your your supervisor, your HR department, just be like, hey, I wanted to bring, you know, I make homemade toffee and I wanted to bring some for everyone in the department. Do you think that's fine? Or should I just leave it in, you know, the break room and, and let anyone take some if they want? 
some, you know, those sorts of things. And that that can help clear things up if you're not sure. Let's talk about tipping fatigue just for a minute. I mean, it's something that we that gets written about. It gets talked about. Is it actually true that more people do seem to expect tips now than before? Or is it just something we notice, for example, because of those point of service systems at, at, at restaurants or coffee shops or whatever that make it really explicit? Like, here's the button for 15 percent, 18 percent, 20 percent. Uh, yeah, I think it has more to do with the, the point of sale and how common those are. Um, you know, it used to be that uh, all all you would see in terms of tipping were the jars at uh, coffee shops and things like that. And I can recall people complaining about those jars as well, <laughs> those tip jars, because they're, it seemed to um, express an expectation. Uh, and now people are, are uh, feeling nostalgic for the tip jars because you've got the point of sale and it tells you exactly how much. Um, and they're so big, it feels like people are looking over your shoulder. <laughs> right. Yeah, the person behind you can see what, you know, like, what do you, like, yes. it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's another buck 30, click the 18 and not the 15. Yes, yes. Uh, and the thing about that is I feel like we need to make sure that we recognize that all of this is voluntary. So it feels less so because that point of sale, like, you know, is right in your face saying, like, are you, aren't you going to tip? Mm, are you a cheapskate or are you going to tip? You know, and uh, but the thing is, you can always hit no. And it is your finances are your business. Um, and while tips are always appreciated and tips uh, are, I think, in some ways vital in some types of industries, um, if you are unable to tip at this point of sale when you're buying like just a cup of coffee, um, that's OK. Um, the the it, baristas do not make the um, the table waiting uh, minimum wage. So theoretically, they should be making a livable wage while uh, while making your coffee. Um, if you feel like, you know, you want a tip, if you go to the same coffee shop over and over again and you have baristas that you love working with, um, yeah, go ahead and hit that tip button. But it is understandable why you're feeling tip fatigue. It is understandable uh, that there would be a kind of sense of resentment because the point of sale. And it's important to remember that the um, programs that do this point of sale, they get a uh, percentage of whatever you tip. Wow. I so there, it's that. in the, yeah, yeah, it's in the best interest of these, these uh, point of sale makers to do that. <laughs> uh, so, and if there is a tip jar, if you put the buck in the tip jar, it's going to go straight to the baristas. Emily Guy Birkin, a financial expert, co-author of the book Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management, and also um, The Five Years Before You Retire. Uh, Emily, thank you very much. Happy holidays. Thank you, and happy holidays to you. Here's a look at the week ahead. Tuesday, it's the funeral for former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. She was the first woman to sit on the high court and was appointed by then-President Ronald Reagan. Wednesday, Vice President Kamala Harris will chair the December meeting of the White House Space Council. It's their third meeting and will focus on international partnerships. Also Wednesday, less than a week until Christmas. Time for some last-minute shopping, but don't worry, there's still time to get those gifts in the mail. The post office says today is the last day for for priority mail and for priority express mail. 
Thursday, it's the first day of winter. Friday, it's the European Union's deadline for Meta to provide more details on measures to stop child sexual abuse on Instagram. Saturday, we're on the road again. AAA says the holiday travel season will be the second busiest since the year 2000. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Tom Graham, Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Dr. Nicole Sapphire. What's on your mind? The holidays are a time when the importance of family becomes particularly evident. In a world that often moves at a fast pace, the holiday season serves as a poignant reminder to pause and reconnect with those closest to us. Many of our favorite Christmas carols have heralded returning home to one's family for Christmas, lauding the simple joys of holding loved ones near and rekindling old acquaintances. However, the reality in America is often a departure from this idyllic portrayal as family dynamics have faltered, leaving us to grapple with the toll it takes on our overall happiness. According to the American Psychological Association, nearly 40% of Americans say that their stress increases over the holiday season, often leading to physical ailments, depression, anxiety, and substance misuse. Even more shocking, another study indicates that among those with pre-existing mental illnesses, a staggering 64% report a deterioration in their well-being as Christmas approaches. Of course, these unsettling statistics only compound the overarching mental health crisis Americans face. With skyrocketing rates of loneliness, depression, self-harm, and suicide. In recent decades, there has been a noticeable shift in the United States away from the traditional family unit. Evolving societal norms and changing economic structures have all contributed to this transformation. Factors such as delayed marriage and a rise in single-parent households have resulted in changed household dynamics, often resulting in less dependence on internal familial support and more on external sources. Recent polling from Pew Research shows that the public cannot even agree on what the family unit is and 40% feel pessimistic about its future. Tragically, more Americans now point to their jobs or friends for fulfillment rather than to having kids or even being married. When we lose sight of family, this time of year becomes simply another painful reminder of everything Christmas is supposed to be but isn't. In giving up on the family, we are only hurting ourselves. Family is a gift an invaluable resource, a lifeline. Even the best of friends will come and go, but family, for better or worse, is forever part of who we are. My son Hudson and I wrote a children's book together called That's What Family's For, to remind ourselves and others of precisely this truth. Yes, the holidays can be a painful time, but they can also be a time for healing, for starting afresh with the ones that matter the most, and refocusing our eyes on the treasure that surrounds us. Mending relationships during the holidays requires a thoughtful approach. 
Embrace the spirit of forgiveness and let go of past grievances, focusing on the present moment and the positive aspects of your family. Engage in shared activities or traditions that once brought joy, creating new memories to replace negative ones. Now more than ever, America needs the family. We need to restore strong, loving, selfless families to their rightful place. And believe me, when we come together at the dining room table for Christmas dinner, it will be worth it. Family is always worth it. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.